Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. We're all about growing your money. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Today I've invited the dividend titan to join us. His name is Willie Kang. He's the author of books with titles like How to Live Off Dividends in Retirement. Don't we all want to do that? And How to Safely Build a Long-Lasting Dividend Portfolio. We share a mission, Willie, and this show, how to grow your money and how to have uh, more confidence when it comes to investing. In fact, we're going to hear Willie's conviction areas today. Now, we all love dividend stocks, but the big question is, how do you find the companies that are likely to grow annually that will offer a substantial dividend growth appreciation or companies that are likely to see outsized profits compared to their peers? Well, today we have four possible dividend stock ideas for you. A supermarket chain, a multi-industry food company, an Asian bank, and a REIT that invests overseas, an S-REIT that primarily invests in overseas properties. Welcome to Money and Me, founder of the website Dividend Titan, Willie Kang. How are you, Willie? A very good morning, Michelle. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Oh, we are thrilled to hear your ideas. First up, Willie, can you give us a sense of what you consider dividend stocks in today's market? It's a difficult one, high inflation, wages not keeping up, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, and the impact that's having on energy and food commodities, key ingredients in the inflation mix. All sure to, to see price rises, some say, and companies passing on those prices to consumers. So what do you consider the dividend stocks in today's market? Yep, that's a very good question, Michelle. So when I look for dividend stocks, what I'm necessarily looking for, great businesses with a durable competitive advantage. So these are companies where they have a very sound business model, good management, and generally all these are reflected in the numbers. So what I look for are things like growing revenues, growing profits, and having a very steady form of free cash flow. And at the same time, these companies are able, out of their profits, mm-hmm. to be able to generate dividends, pay dividends to their shareholders over a long period of time. All right. So you're looking at their profits, their dividend payouts. And I think as we go through the examples that you're going to share with us today, we'll get a deeper sense of what else that you're looking for in terms of indicators of what could be a dividend uh-huh. stock, Willie. Let's start with S-REITs. A lot of people are excited about S-REITs here in Singapore. We've been discussing whether or not they're a good inflation hedge. You've got your eye on Elite Commercial REIT. They're a Singapore real estate investment trust, and they principally invest in commercial REITs or real estate assets in the UK, I understand. What's attracted you to Elite Commercial REIT? Yeah, so the interesting thing about Elite Commercial REIT was when I first looked at the stock, it's a small cap Singapore REIT, but what was interesting was it invests overseas in UK properties. And not only that, what was more interesting was that all, almost all of their leases were actually um, leased out to the UK government agency, which is the Secretary of State for Housing and Local Communities. And this government agency, they basically lease out to all the other agencies as well. So your tax authorities, for example. And the largest tenant was the DWP, which is the Department of Welfare and Pension. So this government agency in the UK takes care of 
the job claims, social welfare benefits. Last year, they paid over 200 million pounds in benefits just to help to tide the uh, citizens through COVID. So it's a really important function of the government agency in the UK. Really interesting. So this REIT is essentially one of its biggest tenants is one of the largest government agencies in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's got, how, how do you read its reliance on DWP? Are there any risks there or is it mostly beneficial, that relationship? Yep. So when I look at Singapore REITs or when I look at REITs in general, what I like to look for is the stability of the rent. Mm. And I like REITs where their tenants uh, tend to be coming from either a government agency or a very strong blue chip corporate. Because I know the credit risk of this tenants mm. tend to be very low because the ability to and the willingness to pay the rent is high. So this gives me a form of comfort. Um, it gives me a form of uh, stability when I look into some of these REITs. And Elite Commercial REIT is right in this sweet spot where they have all these leases leased out to the government. And I don't think the UK government will actually deform. I mean, they, in terms of the credit rating, they are a double A um, credit rating in terms of the country rating. So I think that's generally safe. Is it, correct me if I'm wrong, but does 99% of the gross rental income of this REIT come from the UK government? Yes. Okay. Close to, close to 100%, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Now, given inflation is rising globally, people are always looking at the link between interest rates and REIT's ability to expand. How do you think elite commercial REIT is going to do in, a, in an inflationary environment? Yeah, so what, what caught my attention as I look deeper into the, the REIT itself is the rent agreement which Elite Commercial have with the tenants. So they have this um, rent re- review which is being looked at every five years. So the next rent review comes next year in 2023 mm-hmm. where they will review and adjust the rent according to UK's CPI inflation rate. Right. So on average, any commercial REIT, they have shared with, with the investors on their financial statements and their presentation, that over the last few years, if you see UK's inflation rate averages around 2%. So what, what, what we know as investors is that investors of elite commercial REIT could expect that this rent could adjust about 2 to 3% every year on elite commercial REIT's rent. And this would sort of go, trickle nicely down into the dividend growth of the REIT. Speaking of dividend growth, um, the current trading price, I understand, about 65, 0.65 of a pound. What is its dividend yield and how has its yield fluctuated over the years? Mm. So based on the last 12 months of its dividends payout, it's roughly about an 8% dividend yield. Uh, going forward, I would expect the commercial rate to pay roughly between 7 to 8%. I think last year they, they had an advanced distribution or a special distribution in the dividend. So that sort of spiked the dividend yield. But I will expect the average dividend yield to be about 7%, which is generally much higher than most of the Singapore REITs right now, which is offering about 4 to 5%. So this is something which really stands out. In terms of how this dividend has played out, I mean, any commercial REIT has just IPO two years ago, just before the COVID pandemic. Mm. And the surprising thing is that over the last two years, they were still able to pay out these dividends. In fact, the last quarter, the latest quarter, the first quarter results this year, 
they actually increased their distribution per unit, their DPU, which is a very close link to the dividends which they are able to pay out to investors. Right. So financial year 2021 DPU, 5.43 pence, some 22% of an increase from uh, its year-on-year 2020 DPU. What do you think of the sustainability of the REIT being able uh, to pay out impressive dividends? I understand it's outperformed its IPO projections. Hmm. So I think the ability to pay recurring dividends is pretty high, um, largely because of its strong tenants. So unlike many other Singapore REITs where you are looking at, say, for example, the other retail offices, industrials, where you generally have a diversified tenant base. Yes. Um, and these tenants, they tend to come from either smaller companies or multinational corporations. There, there is inherently like credit risk of these individual tenants. So there's a risk where tenants could actually pull out. But for elite commercial REIT, what I like, even though it's heavily concentrated in the government agencies mm-hmm. in the UK, but all these leases tend to be very long-term. So typically, for elite commercial REIT, they have roughly about 5-10 years lease locked in. Right. So the next expiry comes in uh, 2028. Mm. And what's more interesting is recently, elite commercial REIT came out to announce mm-hmm. that they have removed the lease break option in their tenants. What this means is that previously, wow. elite commercial REIT has this agreement with the tenant that the tenant is able to break the leases before their leases expire. So right now, Elite Commercial was able to remove this option Mm. from the tenant. So they're not able to actually pre-terminate the leases before it expires on the actual date. Even more ironclad in terms of revenue sources than analysts exactly. at DBS maintain a buy rating on elite commercial REIT. Their target price is some 80 pence, implying a 24% upside potential. Analysts at CGSCIMB also believe that it's separate agreements with the Secretary of State over in the UK for what's called the leveling up housing and communities of UK, which really brought up as well, will likely strengthen income visibility and sustainability metrics on on its portfolio, their target price, 76 pence. What is the price of the REIT now? Is it too late to jump on this bandwagon? Yeah, so one thing, Michelle, I don't like about elite commercial REIT is that the shares doesn't really move. You can't really get a very nice price appreciation for elite commercial REIT. Mm-hmm. But what I like about this, in contrast, is that it's really stable, like a bond. So if you have seen, um, over the last one and a half years, shares have been trading pretty flat. So it gives a lot of stability for investors who are really looking for income. So I think at dividend right now, with dividend yield of roughly 7 to 8%, I think it's still a very interesting idea, especially investors who like to have that kind of recurring income, recurring cash flow, not so much on the price appreciation. And at the same time, for investors like myself who like to diversify mm. outside of Singapore properties, because any commercial REIT, at the end of the day, it's sort of a pure play REIT which invests only in UK assets. Got it. Really interesting ideas there, Willie. Willie Kang is my guest. He is the dividend titan. And you're going to see why as we go down the list of his conviction areas. Now, there's been so many chicken jokes, Willie. You know, people <laughs> serving up lamb curry saying, hey, I can't afford chicken these days. Um, let's look at a particular area, Sheng Siong. 
Experts are expecting that rising inflation is going to boost their top line as uh, consumer expenditure normalizes. Is Shengxiong a possible dividend stock idea? Yep, I think Shengxiong has done pretty well in terms of paying dividends. In fact, it has been growing its dividends paid out to shareholders over the last 10 years. And what was interesting about Shengxiong is, you know, in the Singapore stock market, people are just talking about REITs and banks paying dividends. <laughs> yes. But what is surprising is that Shengxiong is one of those rare birds where they are outside of the REIT and bank sector. They are in the consumer sector, but yet they are able to sustain their dividend payout. So that was what amazed me for Shengxiong. Interesting. The third largest chain of supermarkets here in Singapore started back in 2013 under a different name. Let's look at the health of Shengxiong vis-a-vis their competition. How does it do compared to its competitors? Does it have a competitive moat? What sets them apart? Okay, so very good question there, Michelle. <clears throat> For Shengxiong, if you see that they are, they are the third largest, so the first two is NQC and Dairy Farms, Cold Storage and Giant. For Shengxiong, how they differentiate themselves is basically they have a very niche focus. So they only target working adults or people who are very budget conscious when it comes to grocery shopping. Mm. That's why when you see Shengxiong, their outlets are specifically located in the heartland areas in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So you typically find more of Shengxiong's outlets in the HDB area, mm. where there's a huge residential catchment for people who tend to want to be more budget conscious in terms of their grocery shopping. Mm. Yep. And not only that, is they're able to actually keep the rental cost low. Compare Shengxiong, for example, to Cold Storage and Giant, they typically have a much higher operating expense because the location of these outlets tend to be at the more affluent areas. But in Shengxiong, the rental cost, they are able to keep the rental cost low. And because of this, they're able to squeeze out more profits from each outlet. You're right. I did stumble on a Shengxiong in a car park once, in a car park, multi-story car park. And I thought, <laughs> what a strange space for a supermarket. But then I stepped in and I was just swept away by the choice because it was huge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> very huge supermarket in what must be a very you know, n- not an expensive in terms of rents compared to where you usually find cold storages, for example. Now, as the mm. pandemic tapers down and we see more people sort of bursting out of their skin to eat out, people heading, you know, people want more experiences and maybe not cooking as much. Do you think this could pose a problem for Sheng Xiong, possibly changing consumer habits? I don't really think so. I mean, Cooking and eating healthy food is part and parcel of the everyday life. I think family always try, wants to strike a balance between eating out and also cooking at home. And at the same time, Sengxiong also knows the, how, how time-conscious everyone is these days because if you see in a typical family household, people tend to be working. So like what you said, people want to eat out. Um, that's why Sengxiong is also bringing a lot of the wet market produce into the supermarkets because they know that a lot of families, even like myself, mm-hmm. we may not have the time to actually cook. Uh, we not, may not have the time to actually go for grocery shopping, mm-hmm. uh, even going to the wet market. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is that they're actually bringing the wet market into the supermarket. And you can see all this fresh produce um, being sold at Shenzhen itself. So I don't think necessarily that when the pandemic recovers and when the restaurants are all opened up, I think there is always that fine balance between these two. 
Current trading price a dollar fifty-five. When you look at its dividend yield, has that been stable f- over the years? Mm. So it's for our situation is interesting because over the last two to three years, it has actually increased its dividends um, quite rapidly, and as a result, its dividend yield increased quite a fair bit from about three plus percent. Now it's roughly about four plus percent. This is actually trading pretty close to its average historical dividend yield for Seng Siong. And that's what caught my attention for this stock. And as inflation mounts and we see pressures on oil, on commodity prices, soybean, corn, for example, rising, how do you see these pressures affecting Seng Siong? Hmm. I think definitely it will eat up some of its profits. I think some of the cost, the raw material costs and even the labour costs would actually go up for Seng And I would expect some tightening in the gross profit margin for Seng But then again, Seng makes up for its very low selling prices is its low rental costs. Because mm-hmm. if you look at its financial statements over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. its operating profit margin has generally been much higher than its other competitors. So this allows them to give them room to absorb some of these higher costs with the supply chain disruption, with the war in you. And I believe as some of the macro events start to trickle off or starts to subside, then I think the profit expansion would come in for Sengxiong. So I think it's really pretty much a waiting game. All right. You know what, Willie? RHB says inflation could benefit Sheng Xiong. Analysts at RHB say consumers may release some of that pent-up demand for dining out. But after that, the reality of inflation could set in and then it'll be back to regular programming where fresh produce <laughs> might be the name <laughs> of the game. Sheng Xiong has been given a buy call. Target price $1.76. We've got two more of Willie King's picks to go through. But you know what? We're out of time, Willie. So we're going to have to have you back. Sure. How does that sound? Yeah, I'm more than happy to come back on the show, Michelle. <laughs> it's been a joy speaking with you, Willie. I appreciate your time and your insightful analysis. Willie King is founder of the Dividend Titan. He'll be back on Money and Me real soon. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.